as I was praying on what to share today, I felt that as churches and, and the freedoms are starting to come back, that it was so important that we look at our spiritual growth and decipher how are we spiritually growing. Because so, so often we have relied on an individual, a leader, a pastor, whatever, to, to feed us to grow spiritually. But I want to encourage us as, we, as I share in the scriptures today, I want to encourage us to realize that our reliance to grow spiritually cannot be on a man or a woman. Because if it's on a man or a woman, when things go bad, then you blame that man or woman, and that's not biblical. The reliance of our spiritual growth must be between you and your Father God. You and the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you and the Holy Spirit empowering you. You see, the saving grace that we have through Jesus, we don't just say, I do in a marriage. We say, I do, and then we walk through a process of learning how to be married and how to grow, grow stronger and stronger, the same way in our Christian walk. I... <laughs> So many times, I can't even tell you how many times I've heard a statement like this. The church I go to just isn't feeding me anymore. I want to encourage you. If you're not being fed in a church and they're preaching the Bible, it's not necessarily what's being preached is wrong if it's the Bible. What's wrong is that we, we, we build our expectation to be fed by a man or by a woman, and that is not the destiny of the church. Your destiny is not to listen to what I say and get all your feeding by just what I say. That is not the destiny. I hope and pray you listen. That's good. But if you don't listen to the Lord all throughout the week, if you don't take what's being said on a Sunday or in a service and apply it, then you're going to school because you have to and you don't care about learning and studying. People in the church don't grow because they've chosen not to grow. I tell you what, I, I, I grew up Baptist. Well, I grew up uh, in Wycliffe Bible Translators, which was many different denominations, but on a very traditional side. When we moved back into Canada, my mom and dad had always been part of the Baptist churches that supported us. So when we moved back to Canada, uh, I, I grew up in a Baptist church. And you know what? I went to Baptist seminary. I didn't learn some of the things I know now in the seminary. But just because they might not be, be going down the path of Scripture that I find in the moving of the Holy Spirit in the supernatural kingdom of heaven at hand, in the prophetic and the apostolic, because they, 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 a group might have a slightly different theology but is very rooted in the Word of God, does not make them opposite or opposing to me. They make, me, make them my brother and sister in Christ because we stay rooted in the foundation of the word and in the foundation of the word there's diversity in the body you see maybe you're a finger maybe you're a wrist maybe you're an arm maybe you're just a hair maybe you're a foot maybe you're a toe maybe you're a nose but I'll tell you what the body needs you 
because without fingers, it's hard to accomplish some of the tasks we need to do every day. It's like if you go to your family or your friend's house once per week to have lunch, but then you don't prepare anything else to eat the rest of the week. It'd be a great weight loss program. But you see, you go to family to gather for lunch or to have a dinner together, not because it's the only food you get in a week but because it's a gathering of the family or friends together where you actually have fun communicating, joking, or, well, depending how your family is. Some people dread getting together. That's a wrong motive, too. Just because a family member really bums you out does not give you the right or the permission to not go to the family because the reality is if they're bumming you out or really bugging you, you have a problem. They have a problem too, maybe, but we shouldn't be so easily offended by people. They can have their opinion of me. I just ask them not to tell me it. And they have their opinion, I'm sure. Many people stay in the same place every week, but they never develop what they even learned from the previous week. Did we take what we learned even from last Sunday and actually get back into the Word and actually see if what I preached was biblical? Did we take what we learned last Sunday and start to practice it and apply it throughout the week so when we come this Sunday, we actually are better students than we were last week? We're actually getting wiser and smarter than we did last week? Did you take some Scripture and start to pull them apart in your daily Bible reading and prayer time throughout the week? But many people stay in the same place all the time. Kind of like how I went to high school or school. I have to admit, I wasn't the model student. I guarantee my teachers did not think I was a model student. They, many times when I went into Mrs. Pierce's class on the first day of the year, she said, are you in my class again? Get your desk and put it in the corner. That's what I did. So I had to grab my desk and put it into the corner and face the corner of the wall. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. I love Mrs. Pierce. She was a great, Miss Pierce, she was a great lady, great teacher. But boy, you could get her off on tangents. It was amazing. She loved these roll-down maps. You remember that? Some of you are looking at me, what's a roll-down map? it's It's a bunch of maps on this thing like a blind, like a window blind you pull down. And it had like maybe 20 different maps of the world in it. And she would pull it down and then she'd flip it over and flip it over and flip it over. And and then this one, no matter where she was teaching on the chalkboard, anybody know what a chalkboard is? Where she was teaching and on that, I could, oh, Mrs. Pierce. Now, she usually ignored me a lot. Oh, Mrs. Pierce. Because I had to be in my corner, turn around, oh, Mrs. Pierce. But she loved those maps. We were the only class in the school that actually had that kind of a roll-down map, social studies. And I would just have to ask her, oh, can you show us again on your map, no matter what she was, oh, yeah, I'm happy to. It was amazing how much we could sway the teacher. I went to school because I had to. Until I went to Bible school, 
I chose to. But I went to school because I had to. I did the minimum. I, I didn't really get excited about some of the classes, except I got excited about mechanics. I even got excited about woodworking because they taught me how to use the wood and the lathe. I remember I made this, that had this, just a block of wood, and I put it on the lathe, and we were supposed to make a bowl, like a little peanut bowl. And I remember lathing it down, and it actually, I was kind of getting impressed because the teacher was, well, I, I think he had a model student, but the teacher was really good at teaching. And I actually got excited to go to school not for math, but for the woodwork, because I wanted to finish this bowl. And we actually have the bowl. I gave it to my mom. It's a beautiful little varnish bowl. But you see, I got excited about it because I chose to learn something in that class. I get excited to come to church because I choose to learn something in church. I get excited when we go together, come together, like even yesterday, a group of us went out dirt biking um, on some of the people's land here, friends of ours, part of our eldership team, and we just had a blast. I get excited because we, we were able to, to, to do a sport together and hang out on a beautiful sunny day. I got excited when I woke up this morning after I got a little upset at my alarm clock, but I got excited after that and said, thank you, God. It's a Sunday, because I had to think what day it was at first. But oh yeah, it's Sunday. This is amazing. It's going to be an amazing day. I don't want to stay the same week to week. If I stay the same week to week, it's nobody else's problem but mine. It's my choice then. You know what? I'm just going to stay the same and the same. And you know what? The church is not staying the same. It's going to be growing, growing, growing. So if you choose to stay the same, you will be left behind. Remember the old Left Behind series? Some of you, us older people, used to freak you out. You get left behind. I'm not talking tribulation. I'm just talking you're, you're actually going to go backwards by not changing. Advancing, you're going to go farther and farther by yourself, spiritually. That is not our destiny. Many people have handed the responsibility of spiritual growth to somebody else. I even know some husbands that leave the spiritual growth to their wives, or wives that leave the spiritual growth in their life to their husbands. That's not even biblical. Don't leave it to us as pastors and leaders. We're, we're here to hopefully put some thoughts of the Word of God, truth, into your heart so you can take it, go practice it, learn it, grow it, and become stronger and more confident in the presence of the Lord and who you are in your identity. If you're a six-month-old baby Christian, I get it. But when I hear these questions come to me, I'm just not growing anymore. And you're a five-year believer, 10-year believer, 20-year believer. I have to look at you and say, why are you telling me that you're not growing spiritually? Are you thinking that I'm going to grow you spiritually? <laughs> it's not my job. It's not my duty. This is my job and my duty, 
And my spiritual growth is not put on any one of you. I will not go to any one of you. I just love looking around now, not just looking at a camera. I'm not going to go to any one of you and say, my, you are my responsibility for my spiritual growth. No. Some of you, as my eldership team, my leadership team, you are responsible that if I start going off the rails, it's your responsibility to come and say, are you doing okay, Brent? Absolutely. When I hear people come to me and say, I'm just not growing spiritual anymore, I need to leave the church, it's just not for me, I get it. There are times where a certain denomination or group isn't where you're at anymore. I remember getting absolutely energized in a more traditional service. And then something happened to me in 1982, 83. Yeah, fire. Someone said fire. It was like a fire hit me in, in North Carolina. And I tell you what, I went flying to the ground and couldn't get up. It was like I was drunker than a skunk and I hadn't had anything to drink. And I started speaking in a language I had never heard, but yet I knew exactly what it was. And I remember my family members that were there were so shell-shocked that they ran to the back and they phoned my mother here in Canada and said, you, Mom, you won't believe what happened to your youngest son. And I tell you what, that changed me, that changed my life. But no way, Jose... Will I say that any other uh, uh, denominational group, if they're preaching the word of God, that they don't have it and I do? No. Uh, most, many of my family are still in a very traditional church and we love each other dearly. The gifts that have already been imparted to you, do something with them. Well, I have to get your permission, Brent. No, you don't. The only time you'd be good to ask us something is if you want to come running up in the middle of a preach and take over the pulpit. Then it'd probably be wise to just ask for some advice before you do that. Because there's men that are waiting to jump you and get you before you get up here. <laughs> just kidding. Sort of. But use the gifts that have already been given to you, that have been imparted to you. You don't need a platform here. Your platform is the ground that you stand on. That's your platform. And I will guarantee you, there are more people looking at you on your platform than you think are looking at you. Yeah, but I need the platform. You're on a platform. Wherever you stand or sit, is that opportunity for you to be all that you can be in the army of the Lord. That you are destined to just do it. Don't get upset because I use Nike slogan. That's not Nike slogan. Now you go into the Bible. Everywhere it doesn't say in those exact words, but I guarantee you it will encourage you to just do it. And put on your running shoes and do it. So you do it quickly and don't tire in the process. It's time to take responsibility for your spiritual growth. It's time for you to take that responsibility. 
Faith determines what you get. Not a good teacher, not a good preacher, bad teacher, bad preacher. It's your faith that will determine the fullness. When you go to the fountain of the Word of God, how big of a cup do you bring? A shot glass? No way, I'm going for the big gulp cups. When you're a student, like I said earlier, and you do your homework just because you have to and it troubles you to get into the Word, read the Word, and study the Word, then you're not taking ownership of your spiritual growth. Or you are taking ownership because you're not going to grow. People will not grow if they don't take ownership of your life. We can always blame the circumstances around us. We can always blame the world around us. We can always blame that uncle. We can always blame the parents that didn't raise us correctly or that made mistakes. We can always blame that our children aren't listening. We can always blame everybody else. But I want to encourage you that many, many times the blame is in the wrong spot. Because the reality is, people make their decisions. They screw up. They go down their path. But if there's a family member or someone that's going down the wrong path and it depresses us, we have a problem. What it needs to do, if it saddens us, that triggers us into prayer, worship, thanksgiving, grace, love, honor. Power, miraculous signs and wonders. I tell you what, imagine if you have a son or a daughter that's, that's chosen the wrong path and you just keep loving on them and praying for them. And when you see them and they have a limp and you say, son, in Jesus' name be healed and it gets healed. And that's all you have to say. We have to go after God in such a way that our growth becomes our greatest desire to form a stronger intimacy with the Father himself. We need to do our homework to build the inner person, the inner man, the inner woman. We need to do the homework. Don't just come to a class. Do the homework to grow stronger and stronger. Do the hard work. Some of the hard work is be vulnerable. It's, it's hard to be vulnerable. I know because anybody that I talk to that has zero accountability with anyone, then they don't know how to be vulnerable. Anyone that comes to me and says, I don't need anyone accountable to, I just have God, Holy Spirit, and Jesus. They're my accountability. Oh, no, no, no. What you're saying is you can't be vulnerable. There's no one able that you trust enough to speak into your life. And the reality is, is if you don't have someone that you're willing to trust, it doesn't mean that they have to be 100% trustworthy because who is? It's kind of like a child. If, if they're growing up and you're their parent, Are you 100% accurate all the time as a parent? And if you say, yes, I am, reconsider it. 
<laughs> I always tell my family, I thank my kids that are now men and women. I thank them for teaching me how to be a father. Because before that, I only knew how to be a son from my dad. They taught me how to be a father. They taught me how to be a dad. My wife taught me how to be a husband. My duty was not to teach her how to be a wife, although I think I did well. I'm just kidding. No, she taught me. Probably the greatest teacher in our marriage is my wife. 32 years, amen. Because in the, in the school of marriage, I like going to school. High school, mm. school of marriage, I'm loving it. The rewards are amazing. It's worth the study. It's worth the effort. It's worth the hard work. How many of you that have been married know, or are married, know that there's a little bit of hard work involved? Wives, quit looking at your husband like that. It's the same as us going to church. Even if you just watch it on video right now, it's the same thing. Are you going to take what's being taught and apply it? If not, then what do we do here? I don't want to raise up a church, a family, that doesn't apply what's taught to them through life. That's not our destiny on this earth. Matter of fact, we need to come to church with an attitude of hunger and expectancy to learn. When you guys will walk through those front doors with an expectancy, an expectancy and a hunger, oh, you change the atmosphere. It doesn't change by you walking in or me walking in thinking, I'm the guy, I'm going to change the atmosphere. It doesn't change it that way. Well, it does, but the wrong direction. But when you come in raw, hungry for more of God, you end up drawing the kingdom to come and the will be done because each one gathers in unity with the desire and the hunger to grow spiritually today. And then you actually draw it out of the preacher's. I tell you what, I know out of the thousands upon thousands of times I have preached here and locally around the world, I guarantee you, I know when I have stepped into a congregation or a meeting and there's no faith. And they're up there expecting, they're there expecting me to perform like a puppet to give them a word that they probably have heard 10 times before and have done nothing about it. And I feel like a puppet. And you know what? I refuse to be a puppet for people. I am not your spiritual growth. Your spiritual growth has to come between you and your Father God by the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the reality of a Christian, a healthy Christian life. So when we come here in a small group setting, come hungry. Come hungry. Don't come to critique a message. 
Oh, the worst thing is when I get off the pulpit and one of the first people that come up to me will critique something that I said. Please, a three-second phrase out of a 45-plus minute message. Sometimes I even say things I actually didn't even know I said. (laughs) And usually, 99% of the time, it actually works in God's favor. Because I've had people come up and say, well, when you said dot, 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 a light came on. I'm like, I didn't say that. Number one, that's not how I would have said it. But a light came on in you. Praise God. Maybe you actually heard what the Holy Spirit wanted you to hear. Every time when Sharon and I drive to church, we're in prayer for the church. And every single time I pray, and Lord God, let the words that come out of my mouth be the words that you want spoken and the words that each individual person needs to hear. When you can preach a message and have five different interpretations of the same message, that is Holy Spirit speaking through the Word of God. When you come to the fountain again, here, I I came to a fountain today. I'm not the fountain. I came to a fountain. How big of a cup do you have? How big of a cup did you bring today? Maybe last Sunday was super powerful, so you have a bigger cup. You know what we had on graduation night of Winsome? You want to talk about building faith? When we finished graduating, all of the students, we went and knighted them. We take sword, the windward sword and a, a King David sword, and, and we sharpen them up really sharp. <laughs> and we just knight each one and bless each student that's graduated. And I tell you what, something happened. Gold dust started flooding. The first I saw it on was Pastor John. All over his back, I'm thinking, hmm, that's interesting. Then over his front. And then all of a sudden, it's on somebody else. And then it's somebody else. And then we're looking. And oh, it uh, it appeared right before our eyes. Pastor Kevin Stoddy, he, he got gold dust all over him, but then he got like an actual drop of God's glory that hammered him on the front of his shirt, and he had a big round dot of highly concentrated dust. And as Catherine and I were watching the back, we were looking at his back to see if there was anything on his back. As we're literally watching, we see another drop big drop of his glory, God's glory on his back right here on his shirt. Pastor John actually brought his shirt and it's still on there today. Some we saw it come onto their skin and then disappear within five or 10 minutes. But some has lasted even for this whole rest of this week. And some of you might watch this and might be saying, what's the gold dust about? You know what? We call signs and wonders. I call them a sign that makes you wonder. I don't have to have the understanding of it. 
I don't give two hoots why it happened. What it did was it started to build the faith so our cups all got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And people were weeping and crying in the presence of this phenomenal, miraculous sign and wonder that was happening in, in before our eyes. That was first year graduation of Winsome. September we start second year and another first year. Sign up. Sign up and be a part of the class with us because we learn a lot in it. When you come to a church, come ready. When you prepare your heart, get everything that you can. Many times we spend at least an hour getting ready for coming to church. (laughs) You take a shower, I hope. Brush our hair fix our hair, fix our faces. But could we take five minutes out to grow the spiritual man or woman inside of you? I encourage people on your way to church, don't worry about the driver that just cuts you off. Just start being in prayer, in preparation, as you're coming to the family of God. Prepare yourself. Right now, prepare yourself. I'm preparing myself in expectation of what God's doing in the service today. And when I walk out of this building, I'm going to be prepared and continually look for all that I can learn and grow in this week coming. David set an amazing example for strengthening himself in God. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters strengthened himself, in, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. See, David and his mighty men had just been rejected by the Philistines. They felt rejected because they didn't get the way they thought they should. They went with a purpose and a plan, and they got rejected. How many of us sometimes feel we have a purpose or a plan or a certain way of doing things, and the idea gets rejected? Don't you just love it when you know that your way is the right way? But everybody else looks at you and says, no, we don't want to do it that way. And the majority wins. And you pull back. I mean, sure, you're nothing like me. And you pull back. And you sit and you say, I'm going to watch them fail. (laughs) Matter of fact, I'm not even going to help them because I'm going to watch them fail. Oh, my Lord, have mercy on you. That's not it. David's mighty men might have felt that, but David didn't. So here they go to the Philistines, they get rejected, and they return to their own town of Ziglag. And Ziglag is a town in the south of Judah, known to be the city of David, given to him by Achish of Gath. And Ziglag was David's residence when he was joined by many of his mighty warriors. And when he received even the word of the death of Saul, he was in Ziglag. 
I can imagine that David's men were not happy either. They all got rejected. The whole mighty men army of, King, of David at the time went to the Philistines and got rejected. But let's continue what this story says, 1 Samuel 30, starting in verse 1. 1 Samuel 30, David, uh, verse 1. And now it happened when David and his men came back to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south of Ziglag. They attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire. So here David and his mighty men have gone to talk to the Philistines. The Philistines reject them. In the same time they're being rejected, the Amorites come up and destroy the city. They don't just destroy the city. Look what they do. Verse 2. And had taken captive the women and those who were there for small, from small to great. So every child to adult that was in, that, in the city of Ziglag, David's city, were captured. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came back to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. Can you imagine? You just got completely rejected by the Philistines. You come back to your home, all of your family, kids, children, grandbabies, wife are gone, and your house is burned to the ground. And their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Verse 4, then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Would this be a bad day? Could, could you get depressed at this moment in time? They wailed, these mighty men wailed, cried, and screamed and cr until they had no more power to cry. Verse 5, and David's two wives, poor guy. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. and David, did I say that? I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Please. And <laughs> Marriage is a beautiful thing. And David's two wives. I'm just thinking, I love my wife so much, I, I wouldn't want to split that up. <laughs> I'm digging a hole that I'm getting deeper and deeper into. Sorry, babe. I love you. You're the only one. Thank goodness. And David's two wives. Ahinoam, the Je Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people, these mighty warriors, these men following David, they spoke of stoning him. Rocks thrown to kill you. Because the soul of the people were, was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. Imagine. This is what makes leadership, what makes kings. David was leading these men, the mighty men, warriors, Philistines, to the Philistines. And the Philistines reject what David and the men wanted. Amalekites come in, steal, kidnap, 
all the men and the women and the children. Take them and burn the whole city down. Dave and the mighty men come back. The men see the devastation, the destruction. They're wailing to where they can't wail anymore. They get so mad at the leader because they're now going to blame the leader for what just took place. Yet if it had gone well with the Philistines, David would have been praised for what had taken place. But because their trust was more in David than I believe God, they now, because it was a bad day, wanted to kill David. But what makes a leader? What makes a king? The next part of this verse. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. It was like his whole world. All the remaining men had come against him. All his family and all the families are kidnapped by the enemy. And all that he possessed burned in fire. And death threats came at him. But what he did amazes me. I probably would have cried out, oh God, oh God, why did you let this happen? What we were doing was we, we were doing what we thought you wanted us to do. Why, oh God, did you let this happen? But David, this is why he's captured the Father's heart. David strengthened himself <laughs> in the Lord his God. What could that look like today? Disaster or ruin, pain, sorrow, suffering around us. You don't react to it. You let that push you. Oh God, in you I put my trust. I know, oh God, your word says that I am to walk blessed on this earth. Favor and blessings in our family. Favor and blessings in our ministry. Favor and blessings in my children, in my grandbabies. Oh God, I declare that. I speak that. Oh God, I come to you to tell me what to do. He didn't whine and cry. Well, I probably cried. But I don't think he felt sorry for himself. Maybe for a moment. Oh, oh, I can't believe we're locked down. I can't believe the government made that decision. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe we can't do this. I can't believe, I remember when I can't believe I got to wear a helmet on my motorcycle. As a matter of fact, I even remember that I can't believe that they would take my freedom away because I have to wear a seatbelt in my car. Are you kidding me? This is worse than a pandemic. Some of us remember our freedoms being taken away. Does anybody remember? I used to ride my motorcycle without a helmet and loved it. I remember 
growing up with no seatbelts. Our cars, I don't even know if they had them. We all jumped, all three kids were in the back compartment of the station wagon playing games, yelling and screaming while we're driving down the highway at 100 kilometers an hour. Back of a pickup truck, do we remember that? I used to stand in the back of the pickup truck, yelling, looking forward. Matter of fact, we used to open the door while we were driving and do a Chinese fire drill, we called it. Oh, I, I don't know if I could even say that. I don't know why we called it Chinese, but we rotated. We called it Chinese fire drills, just what it, what it was. Anybody know what that is? When you'd stop at a stoplight and the passenger would get out, run around the car, the driver would get out, run around or slide across, and you'd jump in. We just rotated, drivers. But we did it while we were driving. Out the pickup. We'd open up the passenger door, climb up into the back, walk around the back, climb down, stand in an open door, and grab the steering wheel while he slid over and I'd jump in and grab the throttle and away we go, just like nothing ever happened. And then they had to give seatbelt law, took our freedoms away. That probably wasn't legal anyways, but... Regardless of what's coming at you today, you still have the opportunity to respond by strengthening yourself in God's. That's our responsibility. No matter what comes at you, we are to respond by strengthening ourselves in God. Like David did, his responsibility was to go to God and ask for strength. I'm not saying that there aren't actual victims. There are. But I am saying to live in a victim mentality and a victim lifestyle, you're living a powerless life. And everything that you see and happens, you're going to think is bad. It's all against you because you don't know your royal identity. Victim mentality, go. Get out. We don't need it because we're not victims, we're sons. We're daughters. We're clothed in the royal priesthood. We have a two-edged sword in our hands, and I pray, coming from our mouth. We are clothed in the garment of righteousness. I believe one of the greatest accepted sins, listen, One of the greatest accepted sins in the body of Christ today is self-pity. It's self-pity. And I'm willing to call that a sin. Because nowhere have I seen approval from the Word of God to live in self-pity. Nowhere. First Samuel chapter 30, starting in verse 6. Again, we're going to read this. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Verse 7. And then David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring 
the ephod. Please bring the priestly garment or please bring the mantle. Bring it here to me. Please bring my Bible to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. In verse 8, so David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Think of that self control. Your wives, your children have been held captive, taken hostage by the enemy. Honestly, they might not have even known at this time whether they were taken alive or dead, but they weren't dead there, so they must be with them. I don't know if I'd have the strength to say if my daughter or my wife were kidnapped. If I'd have the strength to say, should I pursue them as I see them going down the driveway? I will guarantee you I would pursue them. I would do everything possible to rescue my children or my wife. What does David do? God, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover them all. In other words, if David would have done it on his own, it might not have been a success story. But he went to God first because instead of being a victim, David remembered the mighty works of the Lord in his life and the prophecies that were probably spoken of him. Instead of being just a victim, he remembers his destiny. David didn't blame anybody that we know of. Well, I mean, he was the leader. He could have blamed some of his men. Why did you all come with me? He could be blaming the young sons. Why didn't you stand up and fight? He could have been blaming his wife. Why on earth did you let those bad men into your house? Why on earth did you go with that, those bad men? But he didn't. His first thought was not blame somebody else for your problem. His first thoughts are to go to God for the answer. When negativity and problems of this world start feeding your mind, then you will get anxious. Stop and remember what God has said about this world and what he has said about you. Whatever you're doing through, whatever challenges you may be facing, take the prophecies that have been given to you and use them to fight the good fights. And maybe some of you say, well, I've never had a prophecy. Oh, yeah, you have been prophesied over many times in the Word of God. I'm sure many times your name has been mentioned in heaven. And I'm sure... Many times, all God could think of 
is you and his love overwhelming you. Romans 8, chapter 30, 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you believe God is for you? Then who can be against you? Oh, there's people that maybe are against you, but when God is for you and you know that, their issues and problems don't dictate your identity. Their bad decisions don't explain who you are. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, that's God. He did not spare his son. Matter of fact, he sent his son Jesus and delivered him up for us all. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God sent his son to this earth so you could be delivered through the blood of the cross and the resurrection power. How shall God not with him also freely give us one thing? No. Give us all things in him. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Not me. I don't justify. God justifies. Verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. <laughs> Christ is interceding for us all the time. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? Has anyone felt a little tribulation lately? Has anyone felt a little distress? How about has anyone felt a little persecution? or maybe even famine, spiritually or physically. Maybe you felt nakedness or peril or sword or loneliness. Who is it? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Not tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. That won't. Verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than a conqueror. You see, a conqueror, when you conquer something, you have victory over it. 
When you live a lifestyle more than a conqueror, it means you live in total victory. You no longer have to fight or contend for it. You actually go to God in every situation. And you become more than conquerors. Nor height, oh, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor cancers, nor tumors, nor darkness, nor sin, nor pandemics, nor lockdowns, nor nothing, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us, me, you, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, that's you. That's your destiny. That's your calling. That's the importance. And we need to thank God for what we have. Why I woke up today thanking God that we can legally have 50 people. Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour out water on him who is thirsty. Are you thirsty? And floods on the dry ground. Do you feel dry ground? Remember at the beginning, I said your platform is everywhere your feet stand. And you feel your platform is dry. That's called dry ground. For I will pour water on you who is thirsty and floods onto the dry ground. And I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Let's believe that today. Let's all stand. That's our destiny, your destiny, my destiny. To be more than conquerors. To celebrate the goodness of God in every trial and every tribulation. To begin to grow and understand in a greater revelational understanding of God's love for us. It's beyond our comprehension. But we are called to grow and learn and believe and know His love for us. As we stand here today, we ask you, Lord God, We don't go to battle the trial or tribulation right now. We turn to you first and say, God, you give me my strength. Should I go after the battle or the trial this time, or do I stay in your presence? 
But you see, David was asking about going and getting his family back and the family of his men. And the Lord said, yes, and not one will be harmed. Go get your family back. That is my declaration to all of you. Build your families. Grow your families. Go to the lost ones, the backslidden ones. Love on them in such a way. Don't battle your family. Battle the enemy and have victory because you're more than a conqueror over the enemy that is trying to destroy the families. Become a good atomic family because I want to declare that I am fully against a lot of movements on this earth today. Maybe you don't know what an atomic family is. It's one that goes boom in joy and love and peace and righteousness. No. It's a man and a woman having children. It's an atomic family. But there are movements out there right now that are absolutely against it. I tell you what. Go to the Lord and go rescue the people. Because when you go to the Lord, He's going to give you the power and the authority to go into this lost world and rescue from the captives. Captors, rescue them with the blood and the saving grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out devils. Listen to the word. Go to the Lord and build your life, your spiritual calling, your spiritual life. Don't rely on a preacher or a teacher. It's you. It's your calling to grow spiritually. Amen.